alive after yesterday? I am alive. Good. Or are you not talking to me? Or are you talking to the audience? No. Well, them too, I guess. I was mostly talking to you. I'm concerned about you. You're, you're <laughs> okay, the dude we good. throw into no, the I, fire. I am alive. Day. Okay. Yeah, no, I am, I, I am very much alive. Um, I don't know if you saw MLB Network's coverage of the trade deadline yesterday, but they had you know the, the big three, basically Joel Sherman, Ken Rosenthal, and John Heyman, uh, basically in their own bunkers. It was kind of a weird setup. Like they just put them into what looked like offices in the MLB Network studios and Secaucus, but it just looked like bunkers that they were all reporting on constantly. And you'll hear Ben talk about this later, but I was in my own mini bunker yesterday, which was my own cubicle, but I just put on a hoodie, put on my hood, and I'm just dead on focused on where everybody is going, you know, who is a player to be named later, uh, you know, what might be happening, all of that, all, all the way up until basically 5.30 yesterday, uh, East Coast time, because even though the deadline was right at 4, uh, we know that things can, you know, that's when the trades have to be submitted. Uh, news might not break on them until a little after. So uh, it, was a, it was a good and full day yesterday, but uh, it was a lot of fun. I mean, it was, it was a lot of fun to see new faces in new places and uh, some surprise trades that we'll get into. So, yeah, a good July 31st overall. Well, that's a good thing. And uh, for prospects around the world of minor league baseball, you can breathe a little bit easier as the uh, non-waiver trade deadline has passed for 2018. And we welcome you into this week's episode of the Show Before the Show podcast from MILB.com. Our 171st episode. He's Sam Dykstra. I'm Tyler Mullen. Um, we're talking all things trade deadline and minor league baseball as we get you set for the start of August. Recording this on August 1st, the last full month of the 2018 minor league baseball season. Get that through your head. That blows my mind. Uh, I was talking with uh, a couple of managers uh, in the uh, AA Southern League and AAA International League today, and just like that was the conversation. Like, how did we make it to August 1st? Ridiculous. Uh, But if you like the show... (laughs) Get in touch with this podcast at MILB.com. You can also leave us a rating and a review and a subscription on iTunes and everywhere else you find your podcast, and uh, we would be very grateful. You can get in touch, uh, like I said, there, and also on Twitter. Sam is at Sam Dykstra, MILB. I am at Tyler Mon, and uh, we'll get started. Three strikes is where we cover the three biggest topics of the week in minor league baseball, and we start off strike one this week. Trade deadline is behind us, and uh, a lot of big names moving around, not just at the minor league level, but obviously at the major league level as well. Um, Sam, when you look at which systems improved and how they improved at the deadline, what are your biggest takeaways from yesterday? Yeah, so just kind of taking the whole uh, you know trade deadline season really at, at a whole. Um, you know, I think at the end of the the period, whatever you want to call it, at the end of the month, surely uh, the Orioles do have a definitively better farm system than they did. Uh, I sent out a tweet yesterday that the Kevin Gaussman deal didn't really seem like much for a team that's looking to rebuild. And and I I will stick with that criticism. I don't think they got anybody who was certainly a top 15 prospect in that Braves system, which we know is pretty deep to begin with, but it didn't hurt the Braves whatsoever. And I thought it would have to hurt uh, to trade for Kevin Gaussman. But at the end of the day, here's the list of prospects who are now rated amongst Baltimore's top 30 who are not in the system uh, before July. So that's using El Diaz, Dylan Tate, Luis Ortiz, Gene Carmona, Gene Carlos Encarnacion, Dean Kramer, Cody Carroll, Ryland Bannon, Zach Pop, and Brett Cumberland. Uh, that is basically 
a remade system now and you mix in the guys from the draft and and you know there's a lot more pieces to like here than there was just a little while ago when, when it was basically like yeah ryan mountcastle is pretty good uh dl hall who we talked to last week is having a breakout season hunter harvey might be good if he's if he's healthy uh austin hayes was really good last year has been hurt this year there's a lot of ifs ands maybes there still are those still exist now in this Oriole system, but it is definitively deeper and more talented, which is what they were going for. Um, I think Dan Duquette had a quote yesterday, which was something like, I've heard it's easier to blow up the house and, and build from the bottom up than fix yeah, it room by room. Yeah, room by room. That was an interesting quote. Yeah, and I think that metaphor holds. That being said, I don't think they... Let's get some home they definitely blew up the house. That. Yeah, but they didn't buy the right materials yet. Like they still need a couple more things to really rebuild an entire okay. organization. I, I so, and I don't know exactly what it is they trade next. I, I said this when we talked last. I think you know what trades could they make? Maybe Scope, maybe Gaussman. Well, now they've done those two. Uh, nobody's taking on Chris Davis. Adam Jones is leaving at the end of the year. This is going to be a long, long process for the Orioles. But this is basically how you start it. And to mention one other system that I think did improve in kind of an interesting way is the Blue Jays. And the Blue Jays already had a very good system, obviously. Uh, Vlad Guerrero Jr., Bo Bichette at the top. Nate Pearson's done really well. Kevin Biggio's having a breakout year. Uh, Anthony Alford's really toolsy, having a down year, but is, is still there in that system as a top 100 guy. Lots to like with the Blue Jays. Uh, but they added a, a couple guys that I think were, they kind of bought low on. Uh, that could improve with, in a new organization with some new in, in a new place. Um, so I would put David Polino into that section, and we'll talk to him, about him in a little bit. Put Forrest Wall in that in that kind of category. Uh, Hector Perez, I really like. He's somebody who has at least three above average pitches. Just needs to find control. If he does that, he can be at least a number three starter. Billy McKinney has shown a lot of power once he started putting the ball in the air more at AAA. Uh, this is I think his third trade um but you know he's used to this he he'll have a clear path to the majors with toronto not going to be blocked by a very crowded new york outfield um so the the blue jays kind of gave chances to guys who who kind of need it and i'm going to be really interested to see what they do with those pieces now but uh orioles needed this type of rebuild i don't know if the blue jays did but the blue jays at least did an interesting thing uh in these last couple weeks Strike two this week, Sam, beyond just the uh, the systems that improve the most. Um, individual guys, I mean, this changes lives around baseball and uh, and not just in a baseball context, but guys moving all over the place and starting over in new organizations. Um, I heard a story today about uh, a top prospect who was traded last year and a guy who had only known one organization throughout his entire career. And we hear these a lot of times, but, you know, it was one of those situations where he was traded from the home team to the organization of the visiting team that was at that ballpark at the time and a front office staff member went over to the visiting clubhouse after he had been traded and he was just there in tears because this is something that alters lives and changes careers but a lot of these guys will benefit mightily from changes in scenery and from trades and from being in an organization with a clearer pathway maybe to get to the major leagues and do some big things in their careers when you look at this for strike two who is right now the guy or guys who stand to benefit most from being moved to the deadline um, so the one I just mentioned and is David Polino, and I should just mention we're going to put Francisco Mejia off to the side for this kind of discussion because I think we've talked about this before. Uh, he was somebody who 
should have been I, – I still think he – he should be a catcher uh, full time. Uh, that wasn't going to happen in Cleveland. That could happen in San Diego. That's exactly what these types of trades should do for prospects. And, and I'm excited to see what he can do. So we're going to put Francisco Mejia off to the side there. Uh, but David Polino going from the Astros to the Blue Jays. Uh, this is somebody who used to be a top 100 prospect and then ha- has dealt with multiple injuries throughout his career. Uh, he's had Tommy John surgery. He's had shoulder issues. Uh, he had an 80 game suspension last year after testing positive for PEDs. Uh, and I think there was just a lot of pressure on him. I, I know the Astros were big believers in him. I wrote him up as part of our kind of prospect primers back in the spring. Uh, they were hoping he would kind of learn from the suspension and kind of put it past him. He's still only 24. He's got major league experience. Uh, he's got a plus fastball. He's got a really good curveball. Uh, he's shown good control in the past. He's got plenty of, of size. He's six foot seven. I mean, you, you stand next to him, he's going to tower over you. He's going to tower over any hitter uh, standing on the mound. And making that move to Toronto, there's no longer this worry about like, okay, I need to fulfill my potential. I need to be as good as everybody thought I was. Uh, This is a fresh start for him. This is, you know, there's not the spotlight anymore. It's not trying to push for a contender like it was in Houston as well. Um, So I'm going to be really interested to see what he can do with that. That being said, there are some makeup concerns. Obviously, those come with somebody who's been who's tested positive with P for PEDs. Uh, I know the Astros have worked with him for a while on, on this type of stuff. Um, but you know, maybe all it takes is just a new organization and a trade to realize you're not as big as you thought you were. Uh, you know, you need really need to dig down and bring out the potential that he has. So, uh, right now he's the 20th ranked prospect in that Toronto system, which is obviously pretty deep, but that's, that's not that special given his potential. Uh, so hopefully a, he can get his health back. That's going to be a big thing. And once he does that, uh, I hope he, he can really take off starting at maybe triple a Buffalo or even Toronto, um, maybe at the end of this year, or at least in 2019, triple a Buffalo. It seems like somebody went up there this week, but I can't remember who, I don't know. It's like a big prospect. I don't know. They were like posting video of his first BP session. It's like we've talked about him every week. This is like the first episode, I think, non-injury week in which we haven't talked about Vlad in the front. We've been on the phone. We've been on Skype for 30 minutes. Vlad has yet to come up. It's incredible <laughs> in 2018. Um, it is. Strike three this week, Sam. Uh, one of those guys, I guess we could fit into this conversation. Which promotion from the past week means the most? We expected that one for a long time with Vlad, but a lot of guys moving up. Jesus Luzardo, we started off the beginning of the season talking about how Jesus Luzardo's assignment to Class A Advanced Stockton was one of the most advanced and aggressive assignments in the minor leagues to begin 2018. He's at AAA now. Jesus Luzardo, that's absurd. Joe Adele goes up to double-A. Kyle Wright moves up. Colby Allard moves up. Jonathan India moves up. There's a lot of guys on the move this week, which is kind of what you expect after the deadline, the evaluations, guys you know aren't going to be moved. So those guys who are ready to jump off to the next level, Brendan Rodgers, another one, he's in triple-A. These guys, I think, are, you know, you somewhat wait with bated breath when you are, for a contending team, a top prospect. Uh, but now that we know these guys are sticking around, a lot of movement, what is the one that sticks out most what means the most to you yeah I, I don't want to get too much deeper beyond what you were saying about Lizardo because I think he hit a, a lot of nails on a lot of heads but um you know one of the things that came out of that was the A's front office saying like it's 
it's a possibility that he could come up in September. Uh, one way to read their quote was, you know, it's, it's not best for the team or the player if he were to come now. That might change September 1st, which is as heavy a wink uh, I think I've ever seen from a front office member saying like, listen, there is a very specific date on which we plan to make this move. Uh, and the fact that Luzardo is only 20, uh, but he has answered every call that's come to him. I think AAA is going to be a very big test for him, specifically in the PCL. It helps that he's going to be in Nashville. He's not pitching in Albuquerque. He's not pitching Colorado Springs or, or El Paso or one of these really big hitters parks or Las Vegas. But uh, he is going to maybe travel to some of those places. He is going to face AAA bats the first time. Uh, his stuff will certainly play at that level. It's just going to be the mentality. And if that happens, maybe they move him to the bullpen uh, for Oakland, which has been kind of a surprise contender here the last couple of weeks, really coming on strong. Uh, you know, they're going to want all hands on deck. They're going to want to push for for the playoffs for one of the wild card spots potentially, or, you know, maybe even an outside chance of catching Houston, although I highly doubt that. But uh, j- just to see them treat – a really talented arm like this is very exciting. We've talked to him. We know he's up for the challenge. He's he's somebody who, like I said, has answered the bell uh, at every turn. Um, so that's that's really meaning something when they. It's very clear the road they're laying out for him to potentially reach the majors by September. Instead of saying like, no, we just want to ch- test him here. This is for next year. You know, we want to see how he's going to do in one month of AAA. Then he's going to be back in Nashville in the spring for a couple months and then we'll call him up in late june oh by the way that's after the super two deadline usually passes uh to see them obviously trying to push him to make the majors to help a contending club is really cool uh joe adele though i I can't get enough of him moving up to double a mobile and the fact that he homered in his first game last night is very very cool uh everybody loves seeing him at the futures game he joins Uh, jones up there as well right and and um, you know, he looked like the toolsiest guy there. Um, the one most built to really rise quickly, uh, at least on the Team USA side among position players. And then, you know, to see him answer the call at everywhere he's gone and to show power and to show speed. He's hit 19 homers, stolen 13. Er, yeah, stolen 13 bases. He's hitting 303. Uh, the strikeouts were a little bit of an issue in Inland Empire, but I think they kind of want to get him out of the Cal League just to just to test him, just to say like, hey, listen, you you think your power is going to play here, and it will, uh, but you have to see what it's like when you can't just swing out of your shoes and when strikeouts are going to become a problem. And he's somebody who learns lessons. I mean, he you, you talk to him for two minutes, he'll tell you exactly – uh, what he's learned so far in, in minor league baseball and what he needs to do to reach the next level. Um, you know, he's somebody who really has his sights set on being an all-star outfielder. And the the way the Angels are keep saying, like, yeah, we have those ideas in mind for you too. Let's push you as aggressively as we can. It reminds me a lot of the way they use Mike Trout. I mean, Mike Trout didn't even reach Double A this quickly. And, you know, those were years ago, and there's probably other guys in the front office at this point. Um, but you know, to to know that a player is talented, to see him put that talent into production, and then to see him continually move up the chain because of that production is so satisfying and almost rare at times in today's game as well. So uh, Luzardo and Adele, kind of two sides of the same coin, one a pitcher, one a an outfielder, but to see both of those guys move as quickly as they have this year has been super, super exciting. 
Oh, so you can breathe. The trade deadline is behind us. Um, unless you're a, a waiver deadline anxiety person, and then you got a whole other month to deal with, and we can't <laughs> even get into it yet. Um, but that is three strikes for this week's episode of the Show Before the Show podcast. Coming up, we're going to head to the newest member of the Texas Rangers organization, pitcher Taylor Hearn, part of the deal for Keone Kella from the Pittsburgh Pirates to the Texas Rangers, at least in Hearn's case, with Kella going the other direction. And Taylor Hearn joins the show next. Well, we're joined this week on the Show Before the Show podcast with the newest number seven prospect in the Texas Rangers system, Taylor Hearn. Uh, Taylor, welcome to the show. First off, where are you calling us from and what has this week been like so far for you? I am calling from Roar City right now. I'm back home seeing some family. And, oh man, this, uh, <laughs> this week has been crazy. Especially the last couple of days. Um, I haven't, honestly, I haven't been able to get any sleep and I've been really trying to, and I just haven't been able to get any sleep at all. So, but I'm just, it's kind of been so excited. Yeah, no, I bet we, we should probably introduce exactly why you are back in Roy city, Texas, which is your hometown. Uh, this week you were traded from the pirates organization to the Rangers organization for Keone Kila. Uh, it, it was an interesting story that popped up with that. That that trade went down almost in the middle of the night. It was originally announced that it was two players to be named later. Everybody said that everybody knew who the players were. The players just need to be told you were one of those players and you tweeted the next morning, yeah, I was asleep. Uh, where were you when you found out exactly that you were being traded and what, what was the story behind that? I was actually in my room. At, uh, at our apartment in Altoona, and uh, I was knocked out, and I guess uh, a couple of our teammates were up, and they saw that we guys we made a trade, but they didn't know who. So um, everybody was jumping around, probably thought it was me, and uh, they jumped in my room, and like, hey, like check your phone, and I'm like half asleep, I don't even know what's going on. I check my phone and I see I got some missed calls from my farm director. So I'm like, okay, something's going on. So called him back and um, told me the news I was going to Texas. So yeah, talk about talk about not being able to sleep either. I, <laughs> I don't, I didn't, I stayed up that whole day till like seven or eight thirty. Uh, I can only imagine how how quick of a turnaround did you have after that? You know, from finding out to. Uh, I know when we talked earlier, you said you had a flight to catch today. Today is August 1st, but what was the turnaround in terms of leaving Altoona, getting everything settled there, and having to fly back to Texas? It wasn't, it wasn't too bad. They were they were actually patient, you know, and they, they were actually understanding. And they were trying to help me out, and they were like, hey, you're like, no rush. They're like, you want to leave, you leave uh, same day you can. If not, you can just leave tomorrow. So I kind of, I, plus I wanted to leave tomorrow or the next day just to let everything soak in a little bit and try to try to catch up on some sleep, but that didn't help. So, <laughs> but, uh, but yeah, kind of just, kind of just, uh, let things soak in and, uh, just <laughs> honestly, just, and, and just, just be happy and, and get all my stuff together and make sure I have everything. And now that, uh, an amount of time has kind of passed and you have allowed it to kind of soak in. How how do you kind of feel about this? I mean, I'm sure a part of it is 
you know, this is the second time you've been traded uh, in this type of scenario. You were traded in July 2016 from the Nationals uh, for Mark Melanson. So you've been through this before in one aspect, but also you're going to the Texas Rangers. You are a Texas guy. Uh, what is what have these last 36 hours or so now that you allowed it all to soak in? What are you kind of thinking about right now? Um, nothing but pure, but excitement, you know. And uh, I've actually I'm, I'm I'm since this is my second time going through it, I'm able to to handle it a lot better and, and not put so much pressure on myself in general because uh, you know I know it's, it's, it's just a game. And uh, I know when I first got traded the first time, I put a lot of pressure on myself early. And I had to revert back to the basics and just relax and go back out there playing. And I'm excited to meet the, make, make new teammates again. But I, mean, I can't thank the Pirates enough for, for you know, giving, for trading for me and help me continue my career. And they really helped me build into a, a great pitcher and man on and off the field as well. Yeah, and, and when you say... Uh, you had some issues with that first trade, kind of getting over it. How did that kind of develop? I mean, what was there anybody to help you through it and talk you through it, or was that just did, was there a feeling of going it alone that first time and and not knowing what it's like to switch organizations that quickly? Uh, it was it was a mixture. It was a mixture of guys helping me, like the, a lot of coaches, but also a lot of stuff. It was me as well, just learning. You know, being able to being able to adapt and just to be, uh, I guess, just just being a, a sponge, you know, and, and getting perspective from ex league guys that are coaches that played and um, getting it getting it from like a different point of, point of view or perspective, you know, other organization. But I mean, it was it was great. But I learned a lot. Because um, you know, growing up as a pitcher, I was always taught, you know, you 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 are your, you know, your best greatest teacher. You know, nobody knows you better than you do. So, I think with me going to a new organization, at first, first time trade, and just being open and receptive and letting them know things I do, you know, made the transition a lot easier. And that's definitely something what I'm gonna do now. You know, the second time through, you know, continue to go out there and be myself. And not change anything, and just uh, be open to whatever they want me to do. Yeah, and when you say be yourself, uh, like you said, you're calling us from from your hometown right now. I was looking it up beforehand. Uh, I think it's what like 45 minutes or so from Frisco, the Double A club of the Texas Rangers, to Royce City, about an hour or so, 45 minutes. Uh, how much do you think that is going to help? Just being in a an environment that you're used to, that you're you know you have some familiarity with. Uh, you know, right down to, you know, what favorite fast food restaurant you have down the street, that type of stuff. Um, how much do you think that's going to help this transition just being back in Texas? I think it's going to help a lot. Um, I think, I think with, with me having family and friends close by and being able to especially see family a lot, you know, that's definitely something I was very thankful about. And, um, yeah, because it definitely give me some water burger. I really have been missing, so I got I got to definitely go get him some water burger. Yeah, that's that's for sure. That I'm from the Northeast, so I don't even quite know water burger, yeah. but everybody I know from Texas sings its praises, like the West folk, oh. West Coast folk within and out. So the greatest thing, but you know, but I, I think uh, I think uh, when I walked on the field today and at uh, at uh, Doctor Field, I. Uh, 
it was crazy. I was talking to one of the dudes about it. I was like, I never, ever saw myself. Like, I saw myself playing here, but now it's like, it's like a reality. Now I'm real. And these are, you know, Frisco Stadium and Ballpark Arms. And, like, these are fields that I grew up going to games for and just watching. So now it's crazy that years later I'm playing at these fields. Yeah, and when were you able to tell your family, and, and what was their reaction? How long did you have to wait into the morning to tell them? Uh, honestly, I didn't wait that long because uh, it was there like an hour behind me. It was exactly like one o'clock. So, but my sister was she was still asleep, but still awake, kind of. And I called her, and I had her go in there and wake my mom and them up. And I told them early in the morning, and and then come to find out they couldn't sleep either. They they didn't get no sleep the rest of the day. And my dad went to work tired of and everything. So. <laughs> Oh, fair enough. Yeah. Well, one thing I wanted to ask too is kind of explain to me what what is Roy City like uh, as a town? What was it like growing up there in you know Ranger Country? Essentially, you're not very far from Arlington, like you said. You could envision yourself growing up there or, or playing ball there someday, maybe. And now that's that's closer to a reality now than it ever has been. Uh, what was it like growing up, not only in Ranger Country but in you know Roy City specifically? Oh, uh, it was whenever whenever we moved out here, it was a small town. It still is a small town, but you know, there's more and more people growing, like moving out here. So it still has that small town vibe, but it's a real relaxed place and uh, real country. So it really fits me. So, uh, but I mean, it's, 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 at first there wasn't really that much, but now they're starting to expand and, and they get more stuff, like more shops. Stuff, so, but I mean, it's, it's good that I'm I'm back because now that I'm at home now and I'm seeing stuff start to change, I'm like, okay, maybe uh, maybe I need to upgrade or move out or something. Uh, so many people moving in. All right, well, fair enough. Well, let's talk about a little bit what went into making this trade possible and what made you into – you know, an attractive audit or a commodity for the Texas Rangers in a trade. Uh, this season, you've posted a 3.12 ERA, 107 strikeouts, 104 innings at Double A Altoona. Uh, at least numbers-wise, and this is the deepest you've ever worked into a season. This looks like the best season you've put together, at least full campaign. Uh, has it felt like that for you? I mean, how, what do you feel like have been the biggest gains you've made so far in 2018? I think just. Converting, not 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 really converting, but just learning about myself at the at the high level, and um, and being able to transition from being a thrower to a pitcher. But with me being a guy that throws hard, it's hard not to. It's hard to get out of that mode, you know, because you know you want to hump it up, you want to throw, you know, ninety five, ninety six, ninety seven. So it's like it's good that I have it, but now. I'm at this. I'm at the high, a uh, pretty high level. I, I've learned to maintain it, but also be a pitcher as well. Be able to command the zone and command pitches, and be able to all, throw all three pitches for strikes at any point in count, and uh, get guys out in three pitches or less. You know, because you know, you know, just just, just like how they say, you know, Beverly basically playing at the major league. So, uh, my biggest thing was just to come out this year and, and just not really do too much and just stay within myself and just and just pitch my game but pitch to my strengths and 
and not and just like I said, just not be a thrower and be a pitcher. Yeah, and, and part of that comes from being able to throw off speed pitches, obviously. And one pitch I wanted to ask about in turn especially was your breaking ball uh with your slider. Uh, how do you feel like that's come along? Uh, some of the reports have been that, you know, you like you said, you have really, really good velocity, and, and that's what makes you a good thrower. Uh, you've had a good changeup, uh, which, you know, gives you the two pitches to kind of work at the lower minors as a starter. It's the slider that's going to be the determining factor for you. How do you feel like that's kind of come along, and where are you comfort-wise with that pitch? It's uh, kind <laughs> came a long way because I was still relatively new to it so it was it was a learning process it was one of the things where I had to be really patient with it and not try to rush it but I really think that my patience with it has paid off because now you know I, I'm, I can throw a lot more consistent slider and be able to throw it I'm throwing it in in, in hitters count now put away pitches you know so it, it's helping out a lot and uh, confident, the confidence with it is, is, is been great because I realized the more I throw it in games, the more I'm working on it, the more I trust it in games as well. So it, and, and it shows results and um, helps me get a lot easier, <laughs> easier out as well and quicker too. Yeah, for sure. And when you say you're working on it, what are you specifically doing with it? Is it something about the grip? Is it something about the shape of it? I mean, when you're working on it in kind of side sessions and trying to – Tighten it up. What what specifically are you working on with it? I really got away from I really got away from uh, trying to worry about what the shape is doing and 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 just trust the grip and just throw it and just have confidence in that it's going to do its job because I've thrown some you know I've I've thrown some really good ones I've thrown some really bad ones as well but I've thrown some bad ones that actually got some movement uh, a lot harder. You know, and I'll throw some loopy ones every now and then just like get me overs and strikes. But um, but yeah, I mean, it, it, it wasn't it wasn't something that was that was one of my biggest things coming in this year was was with that slider. Just throw it like how I throw my changeup. Just go out there and trust it because I've been working on it and just let it play. And it and it's and it's shown and it's and it's uh, helped out a lot. Yeah, and going back to what we were saying about you being a thrower and having that kind of elite velocity, um, I know you know every type of pitcher who makes the minor leagues at, at a certain point in their development knows that they throw harder than the other kids. Uh, at what point did you figure out you were not just throwing harder than everybody around you, you were throwing hard enough to be a potential professional pitcher? When I got... I, I was actually somebody who always threw hard and as I got to as I got to uh, high school and started pitching more that's when it kind of clicked with me my freshman year sophomore year it's like you know I want to try to pursue this in professional baseball because uh, you know being a lefty and being able to throw hard as a lefty is uh, is a huge blessing and I'm, I'm very thankful for it but uh <laughs> I kind of had some growing problems, you know. I was growing, I was getting taller. I grew to like six six, six five when I was a senior, and I was only like six foot, six two when I was like freshman. So, kind of, kind of, it was some growing pains, but uh, you know, I still, I still had stuff in the tank. So it was, um, yeah. So I'd, I'd say probably freshman year, freshman sophomore year of high school, 
Mm. That's when a light bulb went off. Like, hey, you know, I could definitely do this at the professional level. Right, and your route to the professional level was a little different than most guys coming out of, uh, you know, who get drafted out of college. You went the JUCO route for two years, I think, and then Oklahoma Baptist, uh, which I think is an NAIA school. Uh, what do you feel like that route did for you? And, uh, you know, you, you did end up getting drafted pretty high, you know, a fifth-round pick in 2015 by the Nats. But what do you feel like going that way through college did for your kind of pro preparations, I guess? It gave me a really, really good taste of what failure is like in baseball and learning how to deal with it. But also getting closer to God and being able to, and that's where I really got my a strong relationship with God as well. But so it was, it was a lot. I mean, Chicago, I mean, I wouldn't, I wouldn't change it for the world because college on the baseball side was, was great because I dealt with injuries that made me a better and stronger person and made me grow in faith as well and, and God. And, and, you know, I had a, I didn't, if you asked me, I had okay success in college because I was still trying to figure some stuff out, but I still knew what I was doing. So that way when I did get into minor league baseball and like my first year, I, I was kind of like, okay, I'm glad I went to college so I can, you know, I learned how to bounce back from rough games and not really get in my head a lot. Uh, that's definitely a good lesson to be taken early. And I think a lot of guys kind of learn that through the younger years of the minors when they get taken out of high school. Uh, one thing I wanted to ask you too, is that this is your fourth year of, of pro ball um, being a college guy getting drafted out of college. That means you are rule five eligible at the end of the year. That also puts you in line to potentially be added to the 40 man at the end of the year. Uh, how much is that something either yourself or players like yourself knowing you're entering a potential rule five year or 40 man eligibility year uh how much does that become a goal for you and how much are you kind of thinking about that as the year goes along it's not even a goal if you ask me because it's it, yeah yeah it, it is a goal to be on the 40 man roster but for me personally it, it's not it's just my thing is just to get to the major league and you know if, if i get there and get you know a little five or whatever, then that's fine. But you know, it's uh, it, it's something something guys talk about, you know, because we all pay attention to it. And uh, I try not to. It's hard because you know you're like, hey, like you know, I gotta have a good year this year. You know, a lot of guys talk about it, so it's definitely something that stays in your mind and your head. But it's 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 uh, it's one of the things I kind of put to rest this year, knowing that I was rule five eligible so I was kind of like I'm just gonna go out there and just play my game and, and just let it let it handle itself yeah and, and given like you said double a is when you start to feel like you are pitching for major league baseball uh obviously you're in a new organization now you got to see how you're going to fit into that organization but before the trade or where you are not now as a pitcher how close do you really feel I feel I feel really very prepared. Um, I think I think playing at the double A level really got me prepared and ready mentally, and just uh, and uh, made me and helped me grow up as a pitcher as well, facing guys that are going to be in the major leagues soon. So um, I think uh, I think for sure that you know I mean <laughs> only 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 God knows when when my time will come. So all I have to do is be patient 
and trust in him and know that if you know I'm eventually get there, but I gotta continue to handle stuff on the field like I have been doing it to be if I think if I can just be a consistent pitcher, you know, day in, day out, knowing that, you know, there's gonna be rough games and being able to bounce back from those games, it'll be it'll be a lot easier. Very cool. And it'll it'll definitely take care of itself. Yeah, absolutely. All right, so we'll we'll end on two more fun ones. Uh, going back to what you were saying about growing up in Texas, picturing yourself playing at the ballpark in Arlington. Uh, when you were looking, growing up and watching those Rangers teams, uh, you know I grew up in the the '90s with the Red Sox. I always picture myself being Nomar Garcia Para. Who did you envision yourself being on those Rangers teams when you were growing up? <laughs> You're gonna laugh at this one, but I was a big Alex Rodriguez fan. Oh, of course. Well, I mean, that's that tracks. That's the way that works. Yeah, for sure. What about A Rod, though? Even though, what about him? Yeah. Oh man, I oh, A Rod, Alex Rodriguez to me is, is has always been one of my favorite players because especially when he played with the Rangers as well because we saw him go to the games and I used to love watching him, but he was. He was just so good at hitting, and he had probably one of the most beautiful swings I've ever seen. And just the way he played the game was awesome. And and um, no, you know, I, I was a pitcher and a hitter as well, but I was more of a better at pitching. So I was always, I was always like, you know what? I really hope one day I get to face him because it'll be an honor to for me to face him as well. But just watching how he played the game when he was with the Rangers and. God, it seemed like every time he came up to bat, I was, you know, he was almost a home run. And he was, it was, he was so, so, such a good deal to watch play him and Bud. Yeah, no, that, that makes a lot of sense. Well, hopefully if you get a chance to play like Sunday night baseball or something like that, ESPN's in town and A-Rod's calling the game, you'll be able to tell him that story. Because uh, I, I don't think you're going to be able to face him, unfortunately. But we'll end on this one, too. <laughs> uh, you brought up Waterburger. Uh, we talked earlier about you getting off the plane earlier today. Uh, when you did step off that plane, you talked to your family. What was the one piece of food you wanted to get first on once you stepped foot on Texas soil? Barbecue. Fair enough. Yeah. Texas barbecue. It was Texas barbecue and Whataburger. What, what's your barbecue order? Well, I'm a big, big baby back rib guy. All right, there you go. Well, I'm sure you love it. Yeah, I'm sure a bunch of Rangers fans now are. If they weren't on your side already, they're they're getting on your side more by the minute. Uh, Taylor, Hearn. yeah, definitely, and uh, yeah, definitely try to give me some Dickies barbecue too. <laughs> yeah, I, I, I know. <laughs> you got to work this for all it's worth now, man. You're a Rangers prospect. You got to you got to use oh, that to its benefit. Oh yeah. All right, well, Taylor Hearn, like I said, the newest number seven prospect in the Texas Rangers system, back home in the Lone Star State. Uh, Thanks so much for joining us, Taylor. Best of luck at Frisco and wherever else the the season takes you, and uh, good luck at home as well. Thank you. Appreciate it. Benjamin Hill has been a blogging machine since uh, returning from the last road trip, which took Ben through the Carolinas and Georgia and Florida, and now is back in New York City with a a local trip on the horizon. Hello, Ben. Hello, Tyler, and hello, Sam Dykstra. Sitting to my left. Left. Um, Yeah. I wanted to sit to the right, but again, Sam rigs this whole uh, this whole. Concept. I was willing to move the microphone. You moved the, your entire chair before I can move the microphone. It's the USB jack that's on this side. It's not my fault. Right. Blame Dell.
See that we just uh, keep. And we just lost a sponsorship too. But that's <laughs> yeah. Fine. We just keep uh, keep kicking the can down the road. Keep shifting the blame. But it's okay. I'm here to Sam Dykstra's right. And uh, I mean, Tyler, you said I've been a blogging machine. I think that is very true. Um, you know, in the context of my life and times. Um, recently, though, been featuring. You know, working more on features, and uh, I've got some blogs in the can. But nothing has appeared since I got back from this road trip. Um, you know, I was talking to you guys off the air, as it were, and. You know, I got back from that trip uh, about a week ago, and since then I've just been working on material from that trip and got another one next week. And so I'm very much in a uh, state of uh, flux of uh, – what do you call when you're not in any one particular place? Uh, I'm missing a really good word to use. <laughs> yeah, and I can't think of it either. I'm, I'm you're untethered. It's what's coming yeah, to it's a purgatory-esque. I'm in a state of uh, – You're untethered. You're unmoored. Unmoored, that's good. That's good. Untethered. Um, hit me up on Twitter at Ben's Biz to, to remind me of the word I want to use. Or just, or just to share your favorite. 24 hours from now when you're listening to this at home. Yeah, or to use your favorite word. Just tell me your favorite word, actually. Um, Twitter at Ben's Biz. Anyhow, that was a great, great response. It's <laughs> a great response to your intro and setup. Um, you know, I'm on fire today, as we all are. Well, let's talk about uh, one of the, the stories that came out of your trip through the Appy League. Uh, former Major League star Dale Murphy spent um, a little bit of time in the Appalachian League back in 1974, a 54-game stay in the Appy League. And uh, on July 21st, he returned to the Appy League. It was Dale Murphy night at the home of the Bristol Pirates, Boyce Cox Field. And you got a chance to catch up with Dale Murphy. And uh, there's a story up on the site about that right now. What was that like getting a chance to talk with Dale Murphy, some about his early days in pro ball? I mean, that was great. Um, you know, this road trip through the Southeast, I originally was going to end in Johnson City the night before, and I added Bristol to the schedule um, for the fact that both Dale Murphy and the governor of Virginia were going to be at the ballpark. I think we talked a little bit about Ralph Northam, the governor, and he and I did a story on him as well. Uh, but to interview, by Appy League standards, two very big uh, celebrities in one night. Um, Dale Murphy was there um, – it was a local Toyota Toyota dealership that I think had sponsored his appearance, um, but he played. He began his professional career in the Appy League in 1974 as a catcher for the Kingsport Mets, and uh, had just never made his Kingsport way. Braves. Oh, Kingsport Braves. Yes, excuse me. Thank you, Sam. <laughs> they are now the Kingsport Mets. Uh, they were some people the, yelling at their podcast devices. Yeah, don't yell at your device. Don't. I'm sorry about that. Um, anyway, Dale Murphy, an 18-year-old catcher for the Kingsport. Braves in 1974 uh, hadn't been back. That's where he started his career and hadn't been back until he came to Bristol just last month. One, you know, Braves country is a huge fan base um, owing to, you know, not being many minor league teams or major league teams around that area, uh, especially when Dale Murphy played in the 80s and also because TBS broadcasted all the games. So an interesting thing about Dale Murphy, who makes a decent amount of promotional appearances throughout ballparks in the South, is the pool he has because so many people grew up with Dale Murphy as one of their baseball heroes in a region of the country and with national TV coverage um, that, that he has a, I, I almost want to say disproportionate number of fans, not that he doesn't deserve them because uh, one, he was a great hitter and two, he's a really nice guy, but it is interesting. So just going to Bristol, Virginia and just seeing this Appy League team, how many fans were lined up more than three hours before the game to see Dale Murphy, uh, it just shows the impact he made on them. And it's just kind of cool to see that in a, uh, you know, rustic Appalachian League environment there in Bristol. So anyway, I interviewed him and uh, you can go to MILB.com, check it out. Um, about a five minute interview. Touched on his return to the Appy League, uh, tried to get his opinion on the minor leagues uh, of his era versus the minor leagues of today. Um, 
and also, you know, in a topic that's near and dear to my heart, the band The Baseball Project uh, wrote a song about him called To the Veterans Committee, advocating for Dale Murphy to be in the Hall of Fame. And I got a chance to ask Dale Murphy about that. And uh, it was just really cool to get his response to that because I'm a big fan of that band, The Baseball Project, and that song as well. And to be honest, I'm a fan of Dale Murphy. You know, being a journalist, uh, try not to let your fandom get in the way. But, uh, you know, I grew up in the 80s, and uh, even though I wasn't a Braves fan, uh, I liked seeing him. And then I was a Phillies fan. And so I remember when Murphy was traded to the uh, Phillies in 1990. And, uh, the Phillies promoted the 1991 season with a Dr. Dirt and Mr. Clean campaign, with Dr. Dirt being Lenny Dykstra and Mr. Clean being Dale Murphy. And uh, I had, as many uh, Philadelphia area kids did at that time, I had the Dr. Dirt and Mr. Clean poster uh, in my room. And mine was actually signed by Lenny Dykstra because, like, my stepsister's friends, like, mom somehow had an in with Lenny Dykstra. But I never got it signed with uh, by Dale Murphy. I don't. And uh, – I'm going to go to eBay maybe and look that up. I would, I could do well with a new Dr. Dern, Mr. Clean poster. Dale Murphy, Mr. Clean, really nice guy. Uh, I hope he gets in the Hall of Fame. Listen to the song To the Veterans Committee by The Baseball Project. And uh, I think that's about all I got on that. And in your conversation, and again, people can go and see the video, but just quickly, uh, what was it like for him to come into an Appy League park? Because Appy League, we've always talked about it being old school baseball and kind of timeless and it's you know without the bells and whistles and all of that uh so normally for somebody to come back to let's say the eastern league and they'd be like oh there's you know other decks or there's these electronic scoreboards or there's these in in between innings contests whatever abby league hasn't changed really in a, in a long time so what was it like watching it through his eyes like you said being 44 years be- between appearances there yeah i mean i I think if you're going to look through the entire minor league landscape, the league that probably has changed the least in those 44 years uh, is the Appy League. So it was interesting uh, to talk to him about it. And, uh, you know, he played in Bristol and, uh, you know, for him to come back to a place that, you know, hadn't really changed that much because I think if you think of anything in your life, one, you have to be old enough to have a 44-year gap between things happening, but it's characterized by just how much has changed. And uh, I think the Appy League in certain markets, Bristol among them, I think Kingsport, Bluefield, um, you could also talk about, relatively speaking, how much has stayed the same, which is uh, one of the things I would recommend about the Appy League in the landscape of change. You can find uh, comfort um, in the Appalachian League. The one concert through all the years, Ray, has been the Abbey League. I think that was the, <laughs> that was the director's cut for the Field of Dreams speech. Um, Ben's right, next trip right. will be a little bit closer to home. You're going to head to Brooklyn and uh, some places kind of around the, the New York metropolitan area and a little bit uh, in the, the northeast. What's up next? Yeah, we can talk more in depth uh, next week because it kicks off next week. And kind of like I did in May, this is a uh, a series of more local trips that I, in my mind I will characterize as one trip for the month. But, um, you know, I live in, in Brooklyn right off the Q line on Beverly Road if anyone wants to come visit me. So I'm going to start this trip off with uh, a Q line uh, special, taking it down to the end of the line, Coney Island, and seeing the Brooklyn Cyclones. And that's uh, this coming Wednesday. They're going to be suiting up as the uh, – Sam Dexter has a hat. The Brooklyn Hefes. The Hefes. Yeah, uh, it's part of their Copa de la Diversion. De la de la de la, de la Diversion. Diversion. <laughs> in Spanish, they don't just say Copa de la Diversion. Yeah, I know. <laughs> I, I struggle with this, but anyway, they will be the jefes, Los the kings, Los the, the, kings. The, the kings or bosses. I, I think it's the bosses. The bosses. bosses? Okay. Because yeah. even cooler. King is Ray, right? Oh, right, 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 right. Yeah, yeah. yeah. So bosses anyway. 
it's fun. It's funny to me to be on the road when I'm at a ballpark that is literally closer to me than this office is. is yeah, I know. Right. How long, um, how far of a Q train ride? It's is about that 15 minutes on the Q. Um, so it's pretty nice. I think I'll work from home that day. And then in the afternoon, head down to Coney on the Q. Sam might join me in, in as might, a fan, as a fan, I, as a fan in a, in a non-working environment, but I, I'm about 25 minutes away on the F. So we might meet up on Coney Island. That'll be fun. That's right. That's right. There's the DNF. I'll be the one reporting on what Ben is like at the ballpark. Yeah. From a third person perspective. I would enjoy week. that. I would enjoy that. I'll go with big sunglasses. You won't recognize me. I would never recognize you unless you looked exactly as you do now, wearing a hooded sweatshirt with the hood up over your head. Mm-hmm. <laughs> what? It's it's August 1st, Sam. What are you wearing a hooded sweatshirt with a hood up for? It helps me focus. I don't know what to tell you. Well, yeah, actually, I, yesterday I, was I'm the trade deadline. Too. Yeah, ben, ben can talk to this. Yesterday during the trade deadline, I just put on my hoodie and just like got into a tunnel of what is the transaction page right now. Yeah, that's when you know yeah, not no. to bother Sam. He sits there, he puts the hood up, and you can't bother him. There's a bunch of, uh, you know, a bunch of jokers making jokes all the time. This and that, Seinfeld references, in jokes, uh, sneezing in jokes. We have a whole culture of joking around this office, and uh, Sam is really more serious and adult than most of us. He, when I need to be, he always has work to do, and he puts up that hood, and nothing stops him from getting that work done. He's a machine, Sam Dykstra, and you can catch Benjamin Hill and maybe <laughs> Sam Dykstra as well. Uh, at the Brooklyn Cyclones coming up on Wednesday, which should be cool. And we'll talk to Ben next week about uh, what else is coming up on that trip. But enjoy it, man. Have fun. I certainly will. And I look forward to us seeing you there next week, Sam. And yeah. Tyler, I look forward to seeing you again in my life. Same here. See you, buddy. Bye. Final segment of this week's episode, number 171 of the Show Before the Show podcast. Final full month of the 2018 minor league season, which means we're getting you set for postseason races and uh, headed toward the minor league baseball playoffs. And we got all the best and brightest on MILB.TV. Sam, what are you watching this week? Yeah, I've got my eye on this one matchup on Saturday. Uh, Mobile Bay Bears, starring Joe Adele, starring Jemiah Jones, like we talked about in the first segment, uh, will be traveling to Birmingham uh, to face the Birmingham Barons, full of Chicago White Sox prospects. The reason I picked Saturday's game is Dylan Cease will be pitching for the Birmingham Barons. Uh, Cease coming off an incredible month of July, posted a 1.20 E. ERA, a 0.93 whip, 42 strikeouts, only 11 walks in 30 innings. Uh, he's somebody who the only thing holding him back was kind of control coming into the year, has really honed that down, showing killer stuff. He, he's, if you like velocity, he's going to always show it in starts. Uh, we talked about Joe Adele getting tested at double A. This is the type of start that is going to test Joe Adele. Uh, that's going to be a righty-on-righty matchup in terms of pitcher versus batter. Uh, it will be really exciting. Hopefully, Cease can work deep enough that we can see that matchup three or four times. That would be really fun. But regardless, even if they only face each other once or twice, that will be must-see internet television. So that's what I got my eye on. Uh, what about for you, Tyler? Yeah, uh, we have two more All-Star games remaining in the minor leagues in 2018. The penultimate All-Star game of the 2018 season is the Northwest versus Pioneer League All-Star Game, which will be in Grand Junction, Colorado on August 7th at Suplesio Field. And those two rosters have some really fun prospects. It's the most unique minor league all-star game uh, because not only is it a cross league game which obviously with the California and Carolina League now doing their own separate ones um, it's really just the AAA all-star game that does that outside of this one this is the only one that mixes levels and 
not a huge discrepancy between rookie level ball and class a short season the way it is between some other levels in the minors but kind of cool that it's a class a short season northwest league against the rookie level pioneer league um and from the northwest league some really interesting talents joey bart is probably the headliner there second overall selection in the first round pick of the san francisco giants this year the catcher out of georgia tech and a guy who most people think right now is the odds on favorite to inherit the mantle behind the plate from buster posey in san francisco joey bart will be there uh, for the northwest league on the other side for the pioneer league kevin Maiton made so many headlines over the offseason obviously when he was declared a free agent uh, by Major League Baseball and signed with the Angels with the penalties for the Atlanta Braves and all that uh, drama that is now well behind us. Uh, Kevin Maiton is the seventh ranked Angels prospect and has had a very good season um, with the, I I shouldn't say very good numbers wise, but I think with everything that is uh, a factor in the 2018 season for Kevin Maiton, he's 18 years old and this is a guy who's still hitting 238, 303, 338 uh, at the rookie level being in the United States playing for a a non-complex team um, still pretty impressive with all the stuff that he went through just to get to this season in 2018 Uh, but he'll be joined on that Pioneer League squad Uh, Rockies prospect Grant Levine will be there he was a supplemental first rounder for the Rockies Missoula catcher uh, Zachary Almond uh, who has been terrific he's got eight home runs through 31 games that's the second best mark in the league um and then another interesting talent in uh, Grand Junction's Coco Montez, a Rockies prospect who leads the Pioneer League in a ton of categories, um, but was a 15th round pick out of South Florida. I think right now is a very nice surprise among Rockies minor leaguers, but a 374 average so far this season. Leads the league in total bases with 97. He's got six home runs, 27 RBIs through 41 games. Uh, a shortstop prospect in the Colorado system. So some interesting talent there and uh, a fun and unique uh, little all-star game. And if you get a chance, the Plesio Field is a really cool venue as well so if you happen to find yourself for some reason on the the western slope of colorado next tuesday then uh, you can check out the northwest versus the pioneer league in the second to last all-star game of 2018 in the minors ridiculous yeah and don't be surprised if like the pioneer league team wins that game and it it won't be a shocking upset yeah i think we get up we get caught up a lot in like what class a versus class a advance right. means and well it's class a short season versus rookie ball that must mean something usually it doesn't really mean that much of a difference it's just how things kind of shake out normally class a short season is a little bit heavier on college players coming out of the draft that type of thing but uh don't be surprised if there are very similar talent levels uh, when that game takes and place. And if I want to watch in the Grand Junction Rockies do a great job with uh, their TV production. Uh, they actually work with a local university who puts those on. So it is one of the better uh, MILB.TV productions, and that game will be streamed on August 7th, the second-to-last All-Star game in the minors in 2018. Um, and that'll do it for this week's episode number 171 of the Show Before the Show podcast. Uh, no more deadline news. You can uh, you can finally relax, but we'll be back to recap the starts to uh, some tenures with new organizations for top prospects and all that type of stuff next week for episode number 172 enjoy another week of baseball we'll talk to you then